1: Banahuata culture is
0: very, very particular, and you can only understand it once you've lived here for a certain period of time. And um, learning that culture over time is the only way you can survive here long term and adapting who you are as a person, which I've had to do certainly over the last 18 years to survive here and be married and bring up the three beautiful
1: children that we have. The Story G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, on the last few programs, retired dentist Dr. Graham McLellan and his wife Pam shared their story, and about the numerous ministries they've been involved in over the years. One area they've been heavily involved is Vanuatu, and there's a good reason for that, and that's because their son Michael lives there, along with his wife Rita, who was born there. So today we're going to hear Michael's story, and how he met and married Rita on the island paradise of Vanuatu. Michael's having a chat with Eric Scadabo. Here am I, your special island, come to me, come to me.
2: Michael McLennan, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks, Eric. It's been uh, a number of years since we last spoke, and I really appreciate our previous conversation all those years ago, and, and I'd like to thank you for uh, being invited back to the program.
2: Glad to have you with us again, and I should say that you're coming to us from the island of Vanuatu right there. You're sitting on a beach somewhere under a coconut tree, is that right?
0: Well, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I could tell you I'm, I'm living in a little hut, little grass hut, and um, my wife has got her little island skirt on, and I'm eating coconuts and lap-lap and uh, just having a great time. But in actual fact, I sort of have a very similar life uh, that I might have in Australia, normal house and uh, normal kind of life, normal car, and uh, life is fairly fairly similar.
2: Mm-hmm. And so you're talking to us from your office. Yeah. Not as romantic, (laughs) but hey, let's just tell it like it is. (laughs) Yeah, we we do that. (laughs) But you are in Vanuatu.
0: Yeah, I'm in Vanuatu. Beautiful country, lovely weather, and uh, beautiful people as well. It's just a really nice place to be.
2: Yeah, a wonderful island and very hospitable, friendly people there on the island of Vanuatu. Now, we're going to speak more about the island of Vanuatu because it plays a big part in your life. Obviously, you're there and your wife Rita is from there, but let's go back to your childhood. You grew up in Orange in New South Wales, is that right?
0: Yeah, it's hard to believe that I came from a place called Orange because, you know, when you say the word orange to people, if people know where Orange is, it's about four hours west of Sydney. Mm-hmm. The first thing that people always say is, it's so cold. And <laughs> how on earth do you live in a place that's so hot? And I remember when I grew up, I was like, I'm never living in a place like Northern Queensland. I'm never living in a place that's hot, stinky, smelly, where you sweat a lot. But um, <laughs> I loved growing up in Orange. I love the weather there, and it's a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very cold during winter, obviously. But somehow when you're a kid, you don't feel it.
2: What are your other memories of growing up in Orange?
0: Well, I, I do remember the cold, and I'll, I'll <laughs> still get back to that. Because okay. you know, right. like, there's nothing better than building a snowman. Um, oh, yeah, and when yeah, you have kids yeah. that grew up in another country, you, you talk to them about the snow and you I guess you take them to the freezer and <laughs> show them what the snow is like. But thankfully, we're able to go back to Australia and I've taken the kids to the snowies and things like that and taken them back to Orange where it has been cold. And um, it's been great for them to be able to experience all that. But um, yeah, I loved, I loved growing up. In orange and and, and experiencing snow, which a lot of Australians don't um, ever get to see or experience. So it's a great thing.
2: Oh, I didn't realize there was snow in orange.
0: Yeah, we get it pretty much every year. Sometimes it doesn't settle, but we've got the highest point, which is Mount Gnobolus. And that's where we have a Christian radio station broadcasting from. And Mm -hmm. it's the highest point west until you get to Madagascar. So it's uh, has a good altitude. Oh, and wow. uh, it receives snow every year up there. And mm-hmm. if you can't get snow down where you live in Orange, then you can go up the hill and sometimes they get a, a foot or maybe a foot and a half of snow all the way to the top.
2: Okay, I'm learning all kinds of new things here today. So now getting back to your childhood, besides the snow, we know that your parents obviously are Christians and you were brought up with a Christian heritage. Tell us about your faith growing up.
0: I think that's one of the things, when you grow up in a Christian family, you, you grow up in a Christian context, um, you always have the gospel shared to you. I can't, in the life of me, remember a particular time that I, I gave my life to Christ. I think that's a decision that I always continually made as a child growing up, mm-hmm. you know, when your mom yeah. prayed with you and you sat down with her and, and she explained the gospel to you and, and you made that decision. And I can remember going to church and plenty of times when you, when you sit down with your parents, you make that decision, you know. Multiple times, I think that there's a period of time when you grow up where you you make a recommitment mm-hmm. because you you make that choice a decision that you want to choose for your life mm-hmm. and a calling that you want to choose for your life, mm-hmm. and I think that's where the real decision comes in is where you say yes, this is the path I've chosen. And um, then you you choose to go that direction. And that happened when I was a teenager. And later on, I became baptized in orange in the middle of winter, <laughs> 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 outside in a uh, pool of water that was very, very cold. Oh, wow. And everyone was very surprised to, like, why would he get baptized at this time of year? And I'm like, well, because why should it make a difference? But, um, yeah, it was um, very special.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you, what did you think about all these Christian projects that your father was involved in uh, radio stations christian schools and all that what did you think about all that
0: um i never thought it was odd i only ever think it's odd when somebody else says why is your dad involved in so many things because uh, i asked my mum about myself because sometimes people say to me michael you're doing too many different things and i'm like uh, I can't really function unless I am. And I think that's huh. what mum says about dad. She just, yeah. just says he doesn't really feel that way. You know, he, he has a certain makeup about who he is and he's happy being like that. And I think the other thing is you're not always doing all those things at once. Yeah, You might be doing one month of this and two months of that and it kind of re- relieves the monotony of just one thing. So you might have done a whole lot over your lifetime. It looks like you've been involved in 10 different things. But in actual fact, at any one time, you may only be involved in one or two. Mm.
2: So you're kind of carrying on his tradition, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those things that you can't really always put a, a finger on yourself and the way you're, you're made up. But um, I seem to be able to multitask different things at one time, and I feel completely fine at that. I think the, the downside of that sometimes is that maybe you're not as fully committed in one area as you should be mm. to excel in that yeah. one thing. Um, yeah. That's maybe a negative, and and that's where you kind of need to have people that support you in what you do. and you know Dad's done a, an amazing work in what he's done with things like NACL and, and, and Christian history research. but at the same time, people get older and they need help with people that can come on board to continue what you've begun.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: and that's that's where the calling is.
2: And as a young adult, you were involved in politics and also photography? I was always involved in in some
0: area of Christian ministry at all times, Mm -hmm. um, and usually multiple. So I was involved with Christian radio. I was involved with um, the Christian Democratic Party in politics. And I just wanted to be able to serve God in areas that influence society, whether it be education, um, the media, like yourself uh, with Mm -hmm. the media, and areas that influence society as a whole, not just confined to a building, but something bigger, and mm-hmm. as you know, like, the great thing with radio is, is you can meet people inside their house. You can meet people inside yep. their car. Yep. And these people may not ever go into a church building or into a Christian bookshop, but you can meet them where they are in the house mm-hmm. and speak to them directly in a way that um, no other medium can do. And this is sort of a, a failure I see as, of the Christian church as a whole is is that we're not always meeting the needs because mm-hmm. we're not looking outside of yeah. the box. Yeah. And Christian media, Christian education uh Christians involved in politics, Christians involved in other areas are able to do that. Um, and that's where I sort of felt my calling was
1: you're listening to the story. Today, Michael McClellan is sharing his life journey. We've just heard about his background growing up in Orange, New South Wales, with Christian parents Graham and Pam McClellan. Next, we'll hear about a short-term missions trip he took to Vanuatu and how he met his future wife. All that and more is coming up when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Before the break, we heard about how he grew up in Orange in New South Wales, which has a reputation of being pretty cold. Next, we'll hear about a trip he took to a very warm place, Vanuatu, in the South Pacific. me. me.
2: Now let's get to the part we've all been waiting for. What led you to go to Vanuatu and meet a certain young lady?
0: Well, I didn't come to Vanuatu to meet a certain (laughs) lady. You didn't know it at the um, time. (laughs) I didn't know that at the time, but I originally came invited by uh, this Presbyterian church in Springwood. And they were doing a school building project and um, they needed a a teacher to help uh, with the kids' education. And it was a a three-month project. You could volunteer for three months. I think I volunteered for about six weeks. And it was just to basically help build a school and teach the kids reading. And um, I had a teaching degree by that time. And so I thought, well, it's only, I think, $900. I'll go and I'll, I'll help out help build this school and um, teach the kids uh, basic literacy. And there was a, a lady that was friends with the people that organized it, and she was uh, local. And she worked for the airline, which was Air Vanuatu. And uh, she spent a couple of weeks out there, and we spent a lot of time together. <laughs> and she was also an ex-teacher, and that's uh, now my wife, um, Rita. And um, we held a long-distance relationship for three. And uh, and a half
2: hold years. on, Hold on, Michael. <laughs> hold on, we need more details here. So... You're working with her, she's just a colleague, a coworker in ministry. When did it go from a colleague to something more?
0: You know, I can remember the first day um when uh she turned up and I saw this girl at a distance and uh, because in Vanuatu everyone is short and she was really tall, she had a beautiful figure, she had the most amazing smile. And I was up on this building, constructing this uh, this school building, and a couple of minutes later, um, they asked us to come down and, and introduce ourselves to um, this girl that had arrived, and uh, that's how we first met. And, uh, yeah, we spent lots of time together just going on walks and stuff like that, and um, and I guess that's where, you know, you, you you sort of begin to like someone and then you hold hands and you just fall in love and, and uh, yeah.
2: So romance flourished on the beautiful island of Vanuatu. Uh,
0: you could ask my dad, but I mean, like I—I I caught the Bali High fever. <laughs> um,
1: Bali High, Bali
0: High, Bali High. I really did catch the Bali High fever, and. You know, it it um, you know you, you 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 have all these images of, of what that Bali high fever is. Um, now you should you
2: should explain that's a, a song from uh, the South Pacific movie, where somebody is on an island and falls for a local girl.
0: It's been a long time since I've watched the movie, but that's the gist of the story. And you asked my dad; he said that that's what sort of uh, happened to me. But um, she was beautiful, uh, and beautiful character, and really nice smile and. Um, I didn't realize at the time how much of that happened to culture, but she mm. agreed with everything I said, and that mm. was the best bit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now, now turning to a little bit more serious topic, uh, you know, this is a interracial relationship. She's Melanesian, dark, black, like, like my wife. My wife is from St. Lucia in the Caribbean. So you, you had to make the same decision that I had to make to date somebody and eventually marry somebody of a different ethnicity, a different race. How did you feel about that?
0: It's hard to answer that directly. I think when I was in the village, there was a pastor who was there, a Presbyterian pastor, and he asked me a question. And it was in reference to this girl who's now my wife, who I've been spending time with, and he said, what do you think about that, that girl? And I can remember responding to him by saying, when you choose your wife, you choose your future. You choose the direction of your future. And I said, I don't really see anything wrong with Vanuatu as a future. Hmm. I can't see any warning bells. I can't see anything of why I shouldn't commit to that as my future. And that's kind of like the decision that I made, I think, then, is is that it just seemed like a a reasonable way forward.
2: And so the whole racial thing, it didn't sound like it even entered your mind. You were more concerned about her being the one for you and who God put in your life.
0: I think the priority always is someone's faith when you're a Christian Mm -hmm. um, and whether you're equally yoked. Maybe the downside to that is the naivety of not understanding cross-cultural relationships all the culture itself. Hmm. And I can say that after having struggled through a long-distance relationship because we, we were a long distance for three and a half years. I was living in Orange. She was living in Port Vila. And the second part of that is when I got married. And there's this huge cultural gap. Uh, which took me years to understand. And I would say I probably really only understood after 10 years in terms of making our marriage work in a way that made our marriage a lot better because there's always difficulties. I think there's more difficulties if you're cross-cultural.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Although, actually, I would say that there's certain advantages. Uh, One of the things that you know you're going to face in a cross-cultural marriage is you're going to be freaked out from time to time at things that are done differently. But I think that's kind of an advantage because you go into it knowing I'm going to be freaked out from time to time. <laughs> you, you expect it.
0: I think it's crazy that just how different things are and how even to the point that you don't get accepted by other, other people. I was in Sydney once and, um, and we had our daughter uh, who was about six or seven at the time and she was pushing her own stroller around. And I didn't ever realize how differently people perceive you as a couple until this one day when she's pushing a stroller around on her own, nobody could find the parent. And all these people are asking each other, where's the parent? (laughs) You know, where are they? And, you know, somehow um, they finally looked over at this middle-aged guy, me, when I shouted out, Grace, I'm over here. And then they're like, oh, there's the parent over there. But Chinese people marry Chinese. English people marry English people. Black people marry black people. And that's all you ever see. You very rarely see black people marrying white people. And Mm. we're the exception. You and I are the exception. It's just you don't see that often.
2: Yeah, some people thought that my wife was uh, like the babysitter for our children.
0: (laughs) Oh, my wife says it all the time. Like if somebody turns up to the house, she goes, oh, I'm just the house girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
2: she has a good (laughs) sense of humor about it all.
0: No, she just says that it's a joke. Yeah. And, you know, just for the reaction. Um, And sometimes they never figure it out. Um, (laughs) But it it is funny.
2: So what year were you married?
0: Yeah, we were married in 2002, Mm -hmm. uh, in February. And um, it was interesting. We had a local local wedding, um, which I didn't organize anything from my end. um, So I didn't know what to expect. But it was very, you know, mixed between European and local. Mm -hmm. And it was a beautiful time.
2: Well... Time has really flown by a lot, so we have to kind of wrap up our conversation, but you've been obviously living there in Vanuatu since you were married in 2002 and involved in various Christian ministries. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I've worked uh, initially, the first thing I did was uh, set up the Christian radio station here mm-hmm. and worked with that for a long period of time. Initially, we started, we had probably about 60% of the, uh, the listenership in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And back then, there was only one other station, so that was very, very easy to do that. And the other thing where that I've been involved with is just, is Bible printing projects. Initially, I'd hear stories of people who went to the islands and they'd tell stories about going to churches and not finding any Bibles. They're literally, if people were asked to bring a Bible to church, there might only be the one elder, two elders that would have a Bible and just the pastor, and that was it. Mm. Oh, and literally, wow. that, that was it. And so when I heard this, I was like, well how can I stand by idle and not do anything about it? Hmm. So um, I tried to work with the Bible Society of the South Pacific to get permission to reprint initially a, a book of the Bible, and that accelerated into um, getting partners on board, other churches involved in overseas and in Australia, to undertake a printing. And we did 65,000 copies of the Gospel of John. We did a nice big print that's easy to read, with lots of pictures and a glossy cover, and we distributed those. From that... We then went into doing a full Bible printing and New Testament printings, and uh, we've done probably over about uh, 200,000 pieces of uh, Scripture in the last um, 10 years since I've been here.
2: Wow. So having an impact there, kind of carrying on the same tradition as your father, being involved in many different ministries at the same time. Finally, uh, you had a significant moment in your life was when, in 2015, Cyclone Pam hit. Is that right?
0: Yeah. It's really uh, psychologically traumatizing to really think about it. Um, mm. It's that devastating what I did to the country. And when you talk about it, it's something that sometimes you just don't want to think about. But I remember the night of the, the cyclone. I mean, for years my wife w- would tell me, uh, Michael, you've not been through a cyclone. You don't know what it's like. And I'd be like, yeah, whatever. But the thing is, is that Cyclone Pan was a very big system. It lasted about five hours and just continued with such intensity. Yeah. And it was just huge. Um, When you get to the point that coconut trees are broken in half, it's an intense, a very, very intense cyclone. And um, during the cyclone, you know, with the wind buffeting on our building at, you know, 350 kilometers an hour, just incredible intensity, we saw this light up in the sky... And it was moving around and my wife was like, come, Michael, look at this light. I think it's, you know, I think it's a sign or something. And and I was like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll stop mopping the floor. And the kids were coming out and we were yelling at them, telling them to get back in their room. It was the only room that was dry in the house. Well, we were busy trying to look after the house. Mm, yeah. It was being inundated and raining in the ceiling and everything else. And, yeah. and I looked outside and it was like, looked like there was this beacon from a helicopter up in the sky. And I'm like, what on earth is that? And my wife said, "I think it's an angel." Afterwards, I can say it was like the peace in the midst of the, the storm, hmm. and that's what it felt like at that moment. Just to stop and look at it, and it was just bemusing. Looked at it ten or fifteen minutes, and it turned off. And and, and I was like, "Honey, I don't want to say it's an angel or something like that because I don't probably wake up tomorrow and find out there's a, a completely natural explanation for it." You know, mm. like, yeah, um, San Elmo's fire on the top of a mast or something like that. Because we had yeah. a we had a big tree outside, and um, the following morning woke up at like four o'clock daybreak and most of the wind had stopped by then and there was a boat basically on on, almost on our front lawn oh wow (laughs) and so and so the uh the top of the mast was the beacon we'd seen the, the night before and uh this guy was uh in his boat and looked completely bedraggled and uh we helped him uh stay and try to look after him as he tried to uh pull his boat back out over the course of about a month out back out into the ocean, but it just felt like you get that moment where you have the bits of peace in the midst of the storm, mm. is what I'll say and then to be able to reflect on that uh, from a spiritual perspective, that Jesus is the, the peace in the midst of the storm um, when there are storms in your life, because the whole time I'm frantic about the cyclone, and yeah. my wife is like, Michael what's your problem? Don't you trust God? Because my wife always is is like that she's completely wow. spiritual yeah, that's, that's
2: about it <laughs> same with my wife yep yep <laughs> <laughs> we, see, we been blessed michael <laughs>
0: uh, so my, my wife would be like see you don't trust god because i'm i'm so anxious about what's going on hmm. stressed about it and trying to m- keep mopping the floor and falling over and and getting annoyed and, and all that and you know honey why aren't you helping um you know this is really important that my floor's lifting up or something Because by that stage, our whole lounge room is is just a pool of water that doesn't have a drain. Wow. And the whole ceiling is just leaking like it's raining inside your house. Uh, It was really severe. And the next morning when you wake up, it's like a bomb has gone off. Everything is just destroyed. It just looks like a bomb has gone off and all the trees are down, everything's down it just looks like everything's destroyed. It's mm. it's really quite, you know, to get PTSD or something, there's a number of people who sort of live through it here and, and yeah. they have psychological problems as a result of what, what they experienced that night. It's really something.
2: But you felt that peace.
0: Yeah, I think that um, my wife made me. She had to take me out to that moment where she got me to stop and look and say, you know, Jesus, the peace in the midst of the storm, mm. and to realize that. And I think that in those situations, that's the most important thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it yeah. takes, sometimes for us, is we don't do that. We need someone to help us
2: mm. see that. Well, you've been living there in Vanuatu for several years, and it sounds like Rita has helped you adjust to your new home country there in Vanuatu and also adjust to some of the challenges that you've gone through there as well. So uh, it sounds like you have a healthy relationship and the two of you growing in your faith together
0: yeah i think it's been a a long journey i think in every marriage you know you make a decision to make things work you know that things are rocky i think in every relationship and certainly the cross-cultural issues we had very early on in the piece yeah um there are a lot of them and there are things that i had to understand a lot of things i misjudged her for Mm. where i had basically said is this you or is this your culture Mm. and i thought they were her and in fact, it was her culture. Oh. Um, Vanuatu culture is very, very particular. And you can only understand it once you've lived here for a certain period of time. And um, learning that culture over time is the only way you can survive here long term. And mm. adapting who you are as a person, which I've had to do certainly over the last 18 years to survive here mm. and be married and, and, um, and bring up three beautiful children that we have.
2: Wow. So, the Lord brought the two of you together. It's beautiful, and I'm thinking maybe, maybe we should introduce our wives to each other at some point. What do you think?
0: I think that'd be great. <laughs> uh, I think that anybody who lives through a cross-cultural relationship can identify with all those differences and uh, tell lots of stories.
2: Yeah, I, I think they'll have some stories to tell about us. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we don't put
0: those stories live to air. Huh? No, yeah,
2: maybe not, maybe not. Okay, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michael McLennan in Vanuatu for sharing your story with us today. And thank you for inviting me onto the show
0: and letting me share my story to everyone. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
1: That was Michael McClellan coming to us from the island paradise of Vanuatu in the South Pacific. But as we heard, even an island paradise has severe storms from time to time. And that was certainly the case in 2015 when Vanuatu was battered by Cyclone Pam, which was one of the most intense tropical cyclones in the South Pacific. Michael and his wife Rita certainly went through an intense and scary experience. But as Michael shared, Rita helped calm him and their faith in God helped them get through it. As Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. Well, it was great to hear Michael and Rita's story and how a Christian radio station started in part because of their marriage. But that is not the only marriage connected to Michael's father Graham that resulted in a radio station being started. Next time, Tabitha Pandey will share how a short-term mission trip to Nepal resulted in her meeting her future husband, BJ. All that and more is coming up next time. And I just love hearing these international love stories. But until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
0: We spent a few days at the hospital getting to know the leprosy hospital and everything. And...
2: BJ
0: led a Bible study one night and I was just, yeah, I think that's the man I going to marry.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think
2: you could call it love at first sight.
1: Tabitha Pandy was once the dental assistant of retired dentist Graham McLellan from Orange in New South Wales. When she was 17 years old, she went on a short-term mission trip to Nepal. At the time, she had no idea that she would meet her future husband there. We'll hear Tabitha and Dr BJ Pandy's story next time. The story, story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.